verses 19 through 30. You can find that on page 780 in the Pew Bible. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elder by Barnabas and Saul. So last week, uh, Marion covered the first part of chapter 11, and in that uh, section of Scripture, we got to see that uh, that bad news indeed uh, tends to travel very fast. Um, news of uh, Peter's interaction with Cornelius and his household had made it back to Jerusalem, and um, and the Jews that were there living in Jerusalem were quite concerned about what was going on, and so um, Peter goes back and has some explaining to do, and he does that. This morning, um, we get to see the second half of this section, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it is for us um, the first time that the gospel has really been preached um, in an area that, that looks radically different than uh, Jerusalem. And it's the uh, it's the area the, the the city is actually known as Antioch. Now, you know, when when we're reading texts like this, uh, some of the places resonate, some of them don't. Jerusalem that resonates with us. Rome that resonates with us. Uh, how many of you uh, know where Antioch is? A few of you. That's a couple of you. Maybe halfway kind of know. It's generally in that Middle Eastern area somewhere over there. Uh, so Antioch, if you were to look at a map, um, if you went straight north out of Jerusalem into what would be modern-day Lebanon, and you continued further north, right there, the Turkish coast starts, modern-day Turkey, okay? And so you kind of have that little curve, the Mediterranean. And in that curve, just kind of south of it, is where Antioch would have been located. Now, why that's important is that it shows us geographically that that gospel 
is moving out further away from Jerusalem. And the text tells us that it was happening because these individuals, there were men that had um, seen and, and witnessed the martyrdom of, of Stephen, and uh, and that martyrdom had caused fear in their lives, and so it, it pushed people out away from Jerusalem. And these individuals had gone to the city of Antioch. Now, what you need to know about Antioch is... Um, in, in the day in which this was happening, Antioch was a very large metropolitan sort of a place. Um, not so much today, but back then it was a very large city, especially large for that day. Um, it was about 500,000 people. Uh, some folks put it as high as 800,000. So think about that. 500 to 800,000 um, folks living in, a, in an area when you didn't have steel buildings, okay? Uh, that means geographically it was very spread out. You didn't have multi, you didn't have people living in large apartment buildings. Uh, you had people spread out for miles and miles. So Antioch was a, was a very large, very prosperous place. If you looked at just the Roman cities of that, uh, of that age, uh, it would have been probably about number three, okay? You would have had Rome, and then you would have had Alexandria, which is in modern-day Egypt, and the next most prominent city would have been Antioch. And so for the gospel to arrive in Antioch and for it to have been preached and for there to have been a response was actually a very significant happening in that day and time. And so what we want to look at is this new church that pops up in Antioch. And, uh, and it, it becomes a very strategic church because of its geographical location and because of the way it acted, because of the way that it functioned. And so we're going to look at the, uh, kind of divided it up into five different things about this church that make it significant. The first one is that this church was founded on the good news. It was founded because of the preaching of the gospel. So the very foundation of this church, uh, of a of a people. I mean, when we say church, we tend to think building. Don't think building. Think people. Um, and so the very foundation of this people rising up in Antioch was uh, the preaching of the gospel. And you can see it um, right there. In, uh, in verse 20, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news, that's euangelion, gospel, telling them the gospel about the Lord Jesus. Now, this, uh, this word that we translate to, they preached the good news or they taught the good news, is actually used 65 times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it is a reference to what we term the gospel. It's a reference to the good news. The life, death, resurrection of Christ is always embedded in that good news. And so that was what these men took from Jerusalem, and they took it to Antioch, and they began telling people about Jesus and what he had done and what it meant. And the text tells us that the Lord's hand was with them, verse 21, and a great number of people believed 
and they turned to the Lord. They took the gospel, they began to trust it, and they turned from what in their lives would have been bad news, and they turned to this good news of Jesus. It resonated with them. Now, what we, what we know about Antioch is that it probably would have been filled with Hellenists, Greek speakers. And they, and by virtue of who they were and where they lived and the day and age they lived in, they would have probably been polytheists. They would have been worshiping any number of deities at, at any given time. And so for them to settle down, to begin to take hold of one God, was a very significant movement in their lives. This is, this is a big change for them. And they, and the text tells us that they embraced it fully. And that they left, by virtue of turning to Jesus, they left all of these other deities and, uh, and they moved in the direction of worshiping the one true and living God. Now what's significant about this? What's significant is that this forms the foundation. This is their baseline. The challenge is for organizations and for groups to maintain their focus, to not lose sight of who they are, to remember what that foundation is. It's a little bit disheartening that were you to go back to ancient Antioch, you probably wouldn't find a whole lot of folks still trusting in that gospel. There's, there, there would be some people there, um, but, but the overwhelming majority would not. A couple of years ago, um, a, a guy named Joel Bells, who is the uh, editor of World Magazine. If you don't take World Magazine and you want uh, a, a decent take on the news, you might want to look into World. Um, but Joel Bells, who's the editor of World Magazine, who was uh, the denomination's moderator a few years ago, wrote an article in which uh, the title of it was uh, dealing with organizational drift. And Joel Bells was essentially saying that, that we must always be on guard because organizations typically go from, and, and he wasn't thinking politically when he said, uh, necessarily when he said they go from being conservative to liberal. What he meant was that they move from kind of those organizing principles, and, and they tend to grow away from those. And, and, in essence, what he was saying was organizations tend to forget who they are and why they exist. Remembering the foundation is critically important. Um, I saw uh, an interview, it was kind of a roundtable discussion just a couple of days ago. I was watching C-SPAN, because that's what 49-year-old men do, um, so I was watching C-SPAN, and, uh, and it was an interview. They were doing an interview with Condoleezza Rice. And uh, it was fascinating because she was fielding all of these questions about, um, about all sorts of world events and her take on all those sorts of things. And, and one of the things that, that she said that really kind of just stuck in my mind uh, was that she said organizations often remember things they should forget, and they forget the things that they should remember. Organizations often remember the things they should forget, okay? And, uh, and they, um, forget the things that they should remember. 
not long ago, I went and I had Yvonne draw for me, copy for me, uh, the early minutes of our church. And I've been reading through those, looking at uh, things that went on in the early days. Uh, this church was founded, uh, particularized uh, with, uh, with elders and deacons in 1999. And it's been really interesting. It's been really encouraging. And one of the things I can tell you is that uh, knowing your leadership today, we have not lost sight of the foundation. Um, let me just take you back. One of the things that stuck out to me was an early vision and mission statement that was uh, that belonged to the church that your leaders um, uh, had put in place. Of particular importance, I thought, was the mission. The mission said this, that the, the mission of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through living the gospel message, enabling members to share the gospel message, partnering, partnering with other churches who share our vision, and discipling future generations of leaders to lead the church in the 21st century. This year, your elders have been meeting together. We've gone on a retreat. We've had a couple of other meetings in which we have been talking about who are we as a church? Where are we going? What are we doing? What are we about? Working to not lose sight of the foundation. We're a gospel-preaching, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving church. And by God's grace, we want to continue to see that be a part of who we are, our foundation going well into the future. The church in Antioch was a gospel-centered church. Its foundation was the gospel. It was built on the gospel. And we want to remember who we are as we move forward as well. Here's the second thing. The second thing is you'll notice about this church is that it was a very diverse church. You would expect, well, you wouldn't expect that actually. Uh, you wouldn't expect that because up until this point, it had been largely contained within a Jewish community of believers. There were a few, and we've already looked at Cornelius and a couple of other folks that have come to faith. But now the gospel has, has gone well into a major metropolitan city. Who would they go to? Would they would they only go to Jewish speakers? Would they only go to folks who looked like them, sounded like them, acted like them, lived like them, believed like them? Or would they go elsewhere? And the text actually tells us they went elsewhere. They wanted to see the gospel reach people that it hadn't previously reached. And you see this when you look at it because it tells us Again, in verse 21, that these men went to Antioch and they began to speak to whom? It says Greeks also. Additionally, that's a big deal. It's a big deal because they purposefully went and presented the gospel to Greek speakers. They were getting out of, you know, think of it how you want to, out of the box, out of their comfort zone. They were going and and taking this message to people groups that didn't look, think, act, 
do any of the things that they themselves had done. Was it effective? That's really the next question. Did it work? It did work. It tells us in the text that the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed. If you'll turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, the first verse, you'll see that there's a list of names there of, of leaders, of, of, uh, of apostles in that church. Here are some of the names you'll see. Barnabas, a leader in the church. You would expect that. Barnabas shows up. He is one of the ones that goes. He starts teaching. He is a leader in the church. Barnabas was a Cypriot Jew. So he comes from the island of Cyprus, and he is Jewish. The second one is Simeon, who was called Niger. It means he was a black man from Africa. Okay? Um, and, and the text calls is, is giving us that detail because it matters. This is a diverse group of people, of men that are leading this congregation. And that was significant for the church moving forward. What about the third one? Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is, uh, would, would be found in what is, is for us modern day Libya. And, uh, and what we can tell about this man was that he would have been an Arab. Now, when we hear the word Arab, we typically associate that with Islam, but this is well before that. Um, Arab just speaks to the type of uh, individual that would have come from that geographical location. Cyrene, um, and and so uh, Lucius would have been um, an Arab. Uh, Menean, who was a lifelong friend. This is an interesting little bit of information. A lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. He would have mostly, most likely either just grown up and been a very close family friend, or the, the, the term that's used there, lifelong friend, could refer to the fact that he had been adopted into the family, and so he grew up with him. But regardless, what this tells us is upper crust. He's an individual that comes from a family that's well-off or well-to-do. So now we have Barnabas, we have Simeon, we have Lucius, uh, Lucius we have Menean, uh, and then finally you get uh, an individual that you know, and that is Saul. And Saul in this grouping of individuals would have represented a number of things, but primarily probably um, Luke is thinking at this point a scholar. Someone who is very well trained um, and uh, and very well educated, and that's the fruit salad of individuals that are now leading this budding church in Antioch. That that's encouraging. That's exciting, and that is really a very significant move outward as this young church begins uh, to expand. A very diverse group of people. Several years ago, uh, our kids have been involved in an online school for for a number of years, and Jody has had, has taught for uh, for this school. And so, uh, every year at the end of the year in May, they would have an end of the year gathering up in Pennsylvania. And I won't say it right. Some of you, you can correct me later. It's, I know it's. I always say Lancaster, but it's not Lancaster, it's Lancaster, right? Is that right? I get it? I have to really work on that. Lancaster. Lancaster. Um, 
but it's in that, that, that part. And so we, we go up there and there, there's a thousand, fifteen hundred people, students and families from all over. And, um, and there's a, a whole bunch of events that go on during the week. But several years ago, we went up and on Sunday, we went to church at a, at a local PCA church. Not, I didn't, we knew nothing about it. Um, and, um, and we went and, and just kind of showed up. And something really interesting happened during during the service. So we had kind of made our way through the first half of the service, and right before the the the, uh, the preacher got up to to start a sermon, a group of people kind of come in from the wings. So so we're looking up here, and uh, and this big long line of people file in from the side, and and they sit down uh, the second or third row, and they took up a, a, like a whole row, and I was like, what? I was kind of fascinated, like, what, what is this? I mean, they were adults. It wasn't like kids, you know, they weren't bringing. And, um, and so afterwards, we, we, we found out that the church had a ministry in which they helped, um, they helped aliens from other countries who were, who had, uh, who were, had been brought to the United States to integrate into our country. The church had a ministry in which they had purchased homes around town and they, Put these people. They 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 were part of that process of integration into the country, and so the church was playing this role of helping provide job training and educational training and language training and oh by the way training in church life, because here they were and and they came voluntarily. But but you would think of it right. Uh, this these people come to our country. They typically don't know anyone. Uh, they're not very connected, and so that church was becoming a connecting place for them. And it was fascinating because in the congregation itself, over the years, a number of a number of these folks from all over the world had joined and become members of this church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay, not exactly a melting pot. Uh, you know, think Amish, um, uh, and, and it's just fascinating. I thought, what an amazing opportunity, what a wonderful opportunity for a congregation to be that thoughtful in their ministry to people from all, they didn't know them, but yet they loved them. And they, and they sought to find a way to help integrate. Listen, we've had our missionary, and I don't remember his name right off the top of my head, that's in East Atlanta, Okay, that is involved in this exact type of ministry, and 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 I would just say, what what a great opportunity, um, and for us to be thoughtful to a degree almost something like this happens right here at Lake Oconee, because people are are constantly moving in from different locales, um, wild wild places like, you know, northern northeast United States. I mean, places that are completely foreign to us. And they come here and they bring traditions like unsweet tea and uh, and these sorts of things. But but it, but we are to, we are something of that here in this area. We do have this wide variety of people that show up and um, and to be generous and to be hospitable and and who knows maybe even for us as a church to think about the bigger world, the larger world, and and to take an opportunity to step in that direction. The church in Antioch did it. And it was meaningful ministry. Here's the third thing, and we're going to move faster through these uh, these next couple. Um, 
The third thing is that they were a praying and ascending church. This comes from, from Acts chapter 13 again. Um, there in that second verse, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they fasted and they prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. A strategic church is a church that listens to the Lord and responds to that sort of calling. A strategic church like Antioch is a church that isn't just concerned about this locale, but the next locale. Where, where is the next church going to be? Where, where can we participate in the next building of a, of a local body? Where can we be strategic in those sorts of efforts? And, and this church has been strategic. Just look at the back of the bulletin. Look at the numbers of church planters we've been supporting and will continue to support as we think about how to be a strategic part of building ministries. I, I think of the RUF ministry that's now on the campus down in Valdosta, Valdosta State. Um, that this church is a part of supporting Chad. And, and Chad's going to be here in July, and you'll get to hear about what's going on as, as he develops this ministry to college students down in Valdosta. I, encouraging. Um, and and the, this church was strategic about how they partnered in gospel ministry. And, and we want to do that. And we want to continue to build our ministry of prayer as well. Here's the fourth. They were... A, they were a learning church, a discipling church. Um, after the initial response, uh, they sent for Barnabas. Uh, uh, as news made it to Jerusalem, they heard about it. They sent Barnabas back to Antioch. When Barnabas got there, he taught them, but he saw what was going on, and then he decided himself, um, hey, I need more firepower. And so he goes to Tarsus, which is just kind of up around the bend, and he finds Paul, Saul, and he brings Saul back. And the two of them together, the text says, labored for a year teaching the new believers. Listen, this is really, really a critical part. Because this is how we grow and and then we take you know, the, the idea is we grow and then we take what we've learned and we go and, and, and we pass that information on. It happened to Barnabas. It had happened to Saul. They come to Antioch. They pass that information. Here's what we know, right? Here's, here's what the Lord taught us. Here's what we understand about the Old Testament as it, as it coalesces with the New Testament and this gospel uh, ministry. And the New Testament at this point is this budding New Testament, right? They're a part of it. Um, and, and here's what's going on. We want to be a church just like Antioch, rooted and established in Christ, being built up as we're grounded. As those roots go deep, um, the tree comes up. Let me, let me encourage you. Maybe, maybe this is a challenge to you. Don't just let the 30, listen, as amazing as these sermons are, that's a joke. I hope they're encouraging to you as Marion and I preach. Don't let this be your only intake, okay? You, you need multiple streams coming into your life. That's why we have been, we are, we're trying very hard to be really strategic about our Sunday school periods to give you a well-balanced diet, to provide a diet of teaching that is going to help establish you and root you. 
take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, be a part of that that ministry. If you haven't been, I really want to. I want to pastorally encourage you to, to, to dig in. Be a part of a Bible study, a home fellowship group, uh, a men's study, a women's study, a, a small discipleship group where, where you, where you can be poured into and pour into others. As I look out here, there is, you have so much to offer one another. Remember that the gifts the Lord gave you are not Merely for you. Don't just be a consumer. Be a giver. What do we say? The Lord blessed you so that you would be a blessing to others. Take hold of that. And, and that can only happen as you, as you're pouring in. Perhaps you're thinking, I don't, I don't have, any, have anything really. To, I'm not Saul. I'm not Barnabas. Uh, you can be a Saul and you can be a Barnabas. Uh, ask the Lord where where uh, where He wants you to pour your life into others. You know, the text says that it, it's fascinating because it says in verse 23 that Barnabas encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord, and the ESV uses a phrase, and the phrase is with steadfast purpose. He encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And and I thought about that phrase, and I went and I and I looked it up. And it actually refers to having a set plan. Barnabas encouraged them to have, in the relationship with the Lord, and to have a set plan. I take that to mean to have a set plan for growth. To be thoughtful in that kind of growth. Um, we know that process as discipleship. We think of it as discipleship. Um, and, and we want to process it in the life of our church as discipleship. And so what do Paul and Barnabas do? Well, they take a year. Some sort of thoughtful purpose. They took a year and they poured themselves, no doubt, day and night, every single day into the lives of those folks. And and here's the fifth and final one, and we'll end here. They gave to the poor and to those who had need. If you look at the very end, um, there's this very strange, you know, Agabus gets up and and prophesies about this famine that's going to happen. Uh, fast forward to some period in the future, and that church, that little church in Antioch, began to give to the church in Jerusalem. A church they, they didn't know, they, they probably didn't know, you know, personally, uh, many, if any, of the people in that church, and yet they gave to it. You all do this every single week. You're, you're a giving church, um, in that you, by virtue of your missions ministry team and other venues are thinking about others and you're giving and those ministries are, are happening because of your generosity. And, and uh, that's, gos- that's because of that gospel foundation. When the gospel foundation is that I have a grace that I did nothing for, that the Lord has poured out on me, and it is a part of who I am, the fiber, right? When you have that free grace poured into your life, the next most uh, positive response you have is to give that kind of grace and generosity away to others. And my prayer is that going forward, like Antioch, we'll continue to be a church uh, that is rooted and grounded in Christ and 
prayerfully considering our ministries as we send folks out, as we give. Um, and that the Lord will add to our diversity in the months and years ahead. All for His glory that we would pour our lives into others around us. Let me pray. Father, we're good to you.